Well, Jorge Perez serves as the president and CEO of the YMCA of Greater Cincinnati, but uh, he has served Wise in Dallas, Indianapolis, Southwest Illinois, and YMCA of the USA. He's been all over. You've you've traveled almost as much as I have in your career. Absolutely. I think when I joined the YMCA, I thought I was going to be in one location and found that uh, YMCAs were located everywhere and went to where the opportunities and up, uh, needs were. And that really is it. It's it's going where the opportunities are or the need is in your case. Your life really is about service, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I was asked recently where it all started. And I will tell you that uh, even in poverty, my mother modeled uh, how we show up and how we help others. So it was just part of my DNA. And so when I had the opportunity to teach, that's what I started off uh, thinking about doing. Uh, it was going to be in the urban, uh, in the inner, inner city where I could make a difference. Tell us about your mom and her DNA, which was passed on to you. Well, she is a migrant from Mexico, Central Plains of Mexico. She ran away from home when she was 13 years old. I asked her, how did she know to come north? Because she only had a third grade education at that time. And she said, I just went in the direction where the cars were coming from. Wow. And she said she knew something was better there. And she left. It took her a few years, made her way along the border, uh, and eventually uh, got married. And I was the first in my family to be born in this country. After me followed uh, six other children. There's actually eight of us in our family. And she didn't stop her education. She learned English very quickly, got her GED. And when I went to college, I came home uh, that uh, summer and found out she had enrolled at the junior college in Dallas. And so she was going to college. And did that inspire you to pursue higher education? What kind of student were you? Well, I started off as a tough, uh, I was a, a really struggling student. Education was not part of our family experience. Uh, I grew up as a migrant worker. We traveled all over the country working just about any crop you can think of, California, Washington State, Michigan, Minnesota. And so... By the time I graduated from high school, I went to 12 different schools, sometimes several of them in a given year. And so I probably graduated from high school with about a seventh grade education. I went to a Bible college in Kansas City, Missouri, because a Sunday school teacher said, Jorge, why don't you go to college? I said, I don't know anything about that. And he said, well, there are colleges that take everybody who applies. And so I showed up. Uh, at college, didn't know I had to pre-enroll. I, I just showed up. <laughs> he just showed up and said, I'd like to go to school. Yeah, and they said, well, you got to fill out some. They couldn't find my name, and and I said, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to fill out? And I filled out the paperwork, and before, by the end of that day, I had a room and was ready to go to college. I quickly learned I was not prepared, uh, but I spent that year getting ready for more. I thought there was going to be my only year. I felt like God had other things for me, and next thing I know, I graduated from that college four years later and went on to seminary for grad school. Now, you said that school was a challenge for you because education wasn't wasn't a part of your life leading up, meaning you didn't have the discipline or the drive, or you didn't feel that you had an aptitude for academics. You know, I think uh, for me, it was the distractions of of growing up poor. 
Um, I was one of the oldest in my family, so I took care of my brothers and sisters. People ask me if I'm ready to be a grandfather, and I always respond, I'm tired. I feel like I've already raised two generations of kids, yeah. my siblings and now my own children. And so it would be like being a great-grandfather. Right. But I was busy trying to take care of the family. I was a, one of the wage earners when I was in high school because I was the best English speaker, at least at that time. I took care of a lot of issues. Uh, if there was anything legal, anything with bills, anything with medical, I was the person who took care of it. I was also the family mechanic and carpenter, and so I took care of a lot of issues. I remember driving when I was nine years old. And so having all of those distractions meant that education or formal education were was always secondary. I did what I needed to do to get by because I didn't see that my academics were going to provide me the resources I need to get the kind of job that I that the men in my family got, which was carpenters and mechanics and uh, construction workers. So I just needed to get enough so that I could do my uh, my job and get on with uh, being a grown-up. But you didn't just get through. It sounds like you thrived. Well, there's no doubt. I felt like, at least on the surviving side of the poverty, I did really well. I was the only eighth grader that drove a car to school. Um, people asked me about that, and they said, well, did you have a driver's license? And I said, no, I didn't. I got one when I uh, when I was old enough to get one, but I remember a teacher asking me if I, uh, if she saw me driving, and she said, was that you driving? <laughs> <clears throat> and I said, I'm only 13. That must have been my father. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, you know, as, uh, the, the misnomer about poverty is that people in poverty aren't resilient or capable. The fact of the matter is, is that people do extraordinary things to survive and often even thrive in very difficult circumstances. I can't imagine that kind of pressure, the pressure you must have felt to do better than those who came before you. You know, the pressure came twofold, uh, Jeff. It was it came from uh, the desire to do better than uh, my uh, the, the older members of my family, my mom, my dad, uh, my uncles, but also the desire to do better for my siblings. I felt like I needed to take care of them. Uh, but your it, parents were there. Though. Your parents were present, <clears throat> yes? Yes, they were. But uh, my dad left when I was 13 years old. But they were barely hanging on. Uh, when you consider individuals that are kind of striving to make it, my mother worked two jobs. My dad had a job that uh, severely underpaid him. And so I had to work. And also took on a lot of responsibilities that typically fall to parents, like paying the bills, uh, dealing with legal issues. Like if somebody got a, a parking ticket or something like that, I dealt with it. And I uh, usually would go to court and pretend like it was my car and stuff like that. And I was 14, 15, 16 right. years old. Uh, little things like doing taxes. I started doing taxes when I was a teenager. Uh, and did the taxes for my family, also made sure that they did a good job with W-2s and anything else. So, yeah, there was an enormous amount of pressure for a kid. I don't believe this is the kind of environments which you create kids uh, to do, but I, you know, I managed to not just survive, but I think I thrived under that. Did you back then have a sense of where your strengths were outside of day-to-day -day survival skills. Was there anything that you saw 
within yourself that said, I think I have a natural aptitude for this. I think I would be really good at that. The thing that I thought I was really good at was solving problems. Problem solver. That, that's what I could do. You could throw anything at me and I could solve it. Um, let me give you an example of that because I really want to uh, uh, help you understand that. I remember we were traveling through Minnesota and one of the belts on our engine uh, broke off. And of course, I'm the family mechanic. And it was the middle of the night and I get off and you can't find a belt anywhere. And it was the belt that uh, controlled the generator. So we needed lights, the battery and so forth and so on. And so I took leather uh, from belts, literally from a human belt and fashioned a makeshift belt that got us to the next town. It held together for about 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, That's the kind of stuff I just did all the time. I solved problems. And I think that helped me later on in life, even helps me today. It goes to the list of skills and what you do. You're not just a CEO, a manager, but you're a director of large, complex organizations. Strategic thinker are the terms used to describe you. Innovator, fundraiser, an evaluator. These are skills that you developed as early as childhood. Absolutely. I think that all human beings begin their developmental journeys when they're kids And it's why we need to create environments for kids to practice uh, some of these uh, inbreded skills, these skills that are already fundamental to human development. And then we leverage those skills to create a doctor, to create a lawyer, to create a CEO of a YMCA. And so, yeah, I think all of us have these God-given skills that uh, we want to create, we want to have the, live in the right environments where we can really take full advantages of, uh, advantage of those things. How did you ultimately get involved with the YMCA? It's a great question. I was at some point early in my career when I decided to leave the classroom, and that happened only after one year. Um, I was working with a group of kids. I was tracking a group of sixth graders that would be first generation, not college students, but high school graduates. 150 students from uh, an elementary school in Texas, O.M. Roberts Elementary. They were assigned to me because they had a 15% graduation rate. So Mm -hmm. only 15% of those sixth graders were going to complete high school at Woodrow Wilson High School uh, six years later. And so I was assigned to them. And I'm not real. I didn't know what to do with that many kids. And so early in my career, I decided to just do what I thought all kids needed to do. So they needed to play. They needed to do sports. They needed to do all these different things. Well, the YMCA became part of that landscape. So when the kids wanted to learn to swim, I took them to the Y. When they wanted to play sports, we went to the Y. Uh, When they needed part-time jobs, we went to the YMCA. I ended up at the YMCA so often, they eventually asked me to join the board I served on the board for a bit, and I remember sitting at a board meeting saying, you know, I should work for this organization. As soon as I graduated those kids, I took a job with the YMCA, and that was uh, 25 years ago. Did you see the need for a certain type of leadership that the YMCA wasn't getting prior to you joining the board? Um, Particularly as it relates to working with urban inner-city kids. 
Now, I think uh, over time I realized that all kids are the same, so I've expanded my responsibility beyond just urban kids. But I remember thinking that the YMCA was really wrestling with what to do and how to help kids that were uniquely challenged along their developmental journeys. And so I joined the YMCA with the idea that I was going to teach the organization how to work with urban kids or kids in trouble. And so my first jobs with the, with the YMCA was to manage a runaway teen shelter, uh, do uh, work in after school for uh, those kids that needed to close the achievement gap that were behind in their academics. I also managed a very large college a scholarship program. We gave away almost $400,000 in college scholarships in Dallas and did work with teen mothers and teen parents. And that's where I thought I was going to spend my career. I was going to help YMCAs work with kids in those scenarios. Over time, I realized that all kids need the same thing, that regardless of where they grow up, um, whether they're from the West End or they live in Indian Hill, Kids need uh, social-emotional development, they need cognitive development, and they, and they need physical development. Uh, at the YMCA, we call that spirit, mind, and body. Uh, it's a little bit more complex uh, because physical is, includes things like eating well and exercise. Social-emotional is about making great friends and also even connecting to a faith. And the cognitive development is not just what you learn in school, but even having strong mental health. Uh, so I thought I could help the YMCA in that space. We were talking earlier before we started rolling tape. You know, you mentioned the YMCA, which is a worldwide organization. The YMCA in one country does not necessarily operate the same way as it does in this country. And I would suspect, even though you pointed out that kids basically need the same things, the way you manage it and the way you run it, you know, you made the comparison between kids in the West End versus Indian Hill. How do you reconcile the differences in their needs based on the environment they're living? The goal here is to create the collection of programs that will help young people and adults through their developmental process. And some programs don't, they do, they do great work, but they just don't fill the gap. Let me give you an example. Uh, we might do swim lessons in the suburbs because kids need to learn to swim. And we partner with parents to uh, fill in the developmental gaps. Their parents are already there. They're taking them to the swim lessons. They're doing some really cool stuff. Maybe some of those kids end up being on a swim team. Now let's go over to the West End or over um, over in Wana Hills. You may have some kids that also need to learn to swim, but if that is all I give them, then there'll be other things that will overcome them and they'll drown academically. They'll drown physically. They'll drown social-emotionally. And we need to make sure that we fill in those gaps as well, because if our goal is to help create stronger kids, then we have to make sure we're filling in all the gaps. And so YMCAs all, all over the country, all over the world, ask themselves, what do our communities need and what changes do we uh, need to make today? And even what set of programs? And the YMCA in the United States has gone through a tremendous amount of innovations and shifts along its developmental process. Let me give you an example of that. If you know the song, the YMCA, right? the lyrics say, it's fun to stay at the YMCA. Yes. Well, nobody stays at the Y anymore. No. But when it was written in the 1970s, the YMCA had the largest number of rooms for rent 
than any other hotel chain in the country because we housed guys as they were moving in from these uh, rural areas coming into the big cities. We wanted to give them a place to land. The YMCA provided housing. So even as late as the 1970s, it was fun to stay at the YMCA. The YMCA. I love that. You studied Christian education. Yes. How does that degree sort of fit into your life and your role doing what you do today? Well, when I went off to Bible college and decided I was going to make education part of my career, part of my path, my first thought was to become a youth pastor. And so I was training to be a youth pastor. Uh, eventually decided I wanted to help kids academically, which is how I ended up in the classroom. But I will tell you that the YMCA's work is still very much in line with what I believe God was calling me to do. I'm a youth pastor. I'm just a youth pastor at the YMCA. It wasn't just an educational opportunity for you. It, it happened to be a Christian school. This was a big part of who you were, your faith, and you stuck with this. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I mentioned earlier about uh, the lessons that I think my mom uh, taught us is this whole idea that our best gift, and this isn't about necessarily God, but to ourselves, our best gift to ourselves is to find the thing that we were created to do. And early on, I thought, well, my gift is to try to help others, to try to create paths for individuals. And I remember feeling this way, oddly, when we were taking food from our pantry. Now, when I say pantry, uh, it's not a fancy pantry. It's a pantry filled with gifts or food that somebody else gave to us. We were taking food out of the pantry after church one day, and I asked my mother what she was doing, and she said, well, I met another family that needed food. And I'm like, Mom, we need food. <laughs> and she said, yeah, but they needed more. And then I started to bargain with her and saying, Mom, what if we give her the lima beans and give them the stuff nobody knows what to do with, but for sure don't give them the Chef Boy RD. Right. And my mother quickly reached for the Chef Boy RD and said, we give people our best. I remember being confused, angry, concerned. And then when we gave the box... I also remember feeling proud and felt like, wow, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. And luckily, I get to do this for a living. I feel very fortunate. What does the American dream mean to you? You know, uh, some people, for some individuals, the American dream is about economics. Yeah. And, is and it I, a house? Is it having a car? Yeah, and I understand that. I get that, and I feel like that's part of the American dream. You know, doing better than my parents. Yeah. But if the only measurement is doing better than my parents' uh, financial, then I think we miss a uh, very important part of the American dream. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a much broader idea. I think the creators of this country didn't want just to give people an economic um, uh, roadmap, but also want to give individuals a place where they could be all that God has designed them to be. If they need, that meant they were going to be doctors, then let them be doctors. If that meant they were going to be teachers, let them be teachers. If that meant they were going to be moms and dads and neighbors, then they should be the best neighbors. Because at the end of our time, it's not going to be the diplomas or the paychecks that we'll remember. 
It'll be the impact that we have on the lives of people around us, our families, our friends. And so I think the American dream uh, has to be broader than just simply cash. I think when you do that, that turns into the American nightmare because mm. you're never, ever satisfied. No. That's the problem with living a transactional life is you're forever looking for the next transaction. But if you're look, living a life balanced with transformational moments, uh, then I think you, live a, you, live a, uh, you can live a life even without having all the trappings of middle class or upper middle class or upper class, uh, a life that is full of joy and full of uh, satisfaction, full of that happiness uh, that the uh, writers of the Constitution were talking about. When we look at Cincinnati's revitalization and the city's growth, the transformation this city has seen over the years, what does the YMCA see for itself in the future? What do you see for the Y's future? Well, first, let me agree that Cincinnati has been uh, through a renaissance and no end in sight. The future is bright and it is exciting to be here. I actually left Cincinnati for 10 years and then came back. Somebody asked me, well, what's the difference? Well, when did you leave and when did you come back? So it was a, about 90 f- or uh, 2005 and was gone for about 10 years or so and then came back. Yep. And so they asked me, well, what's the big difference? And I said, well, let's start with, uh, let's start with over the Rhine. Right. Uh, during my uh, transition from Chicago back to Cincinnati, I actually st- stayed in over the Rhine. That would have never happened uh, 15 years ago, right? Uh, 12 years ago. Now I was perfectly safe and happy, and there was plenty of things to do. In fact, I feel like I needed a little dog, tight jeans, and a man bun <laughs> so I can fit Just in. So you can fit in yeah. to over the Rhine. So yeah. what, a, what a difference from feeding kids and doing achievement gap work in Washington Park Elementary School and mm. running the pool that was there and uh, feeding the homeless. So very different uh, environment. What we uh, need to make sure in the city, and I think what the YMCA wants to do, is make sure that we leave no one behind that we uh, help individuals along their developmental journeys, no matter where they live. So for those live in Blue Ash, living in Blue Ash, we want to make sure that we're reminding uh, them that it's not just simply about physical fitness. It's about who they are as human beings. Um, We talk a lot about three words, achievement, relationship, and belonging. And what those three words mean is that we want to help people achieve whatever their goals are. So you're in third grade and need to learn to read. We're going to help you learn to read. You're a three-year-old that needs to get ready for kindergarten. We're going to help you get ready for kindergarten. If you're a stay-at-home mom that needs to find meaning and purpose and and maybe get a little bit uh, physically fit, we got Pilates for you. If you're a senior that— so It's not just for kids. It's for everyone. You're a senior that had hip surgery and need to walk again, we can help you with that too. From birth to death, we do everything in the YMCA— one of the very few organizations that can you can literally do your life all the way through uh, at the YMCA. Not just for young men. No, no, not yeah. anymore. People ask us all the time whether we've ever considered changing our names. I said, well, we are known more by the YMCA, and most people don't know that that means the Young Men's Christian Association. Right. The fact of the matter is we welcome everyone uh, from all walks of life, regardless of where they are, and our goal is to try to create those paths for them. So... 
Our goal at the YMCA is to help individuals uh, achieve, relate, and belong, and uh, find uh, meaning and purpose, not just physical fitness, but again, spiritual fitness and mental fitness at the YMCA. The YMCA does so much for the community. What does the YMCA need from the community? You know, I think what we need from our community, and I'll start with our internal community, the members of the YMCA. We've got 130,000 or so members across the region, and we need them to step into that cause. This is the belonging part of those three words, achievement, relationship, and belonging. And maybe they've been with the Y and they've they've enjoyed some of the aquatics and some of the fitness classes, but they've never thought of using the YMCA as a place for them to launch their own meaning and purpose. And we'd love to invite them into that. Now, this isn't about helping the YMCA, because if an individual has a desire to make a difference in their community and uh, they have an idea, we want them to tell us so that we can help them. Let me be very specific. If we have a dad out there who wants to start a troop with his son's Boy Scouts and wants to do it but doesn't know where to do the club meeting and maybe even needs a little bit of money, come to the YMCA, talk to the people there, the leaders of that YMCA. We have a fund just to help individuals do that. Really? The only thing we ask is that you invite other members of the YMCA to help you. Because our goal isn't just to uh, have the YMCA as a place where you consume, but it's a place also where we send people out into the community and they become coaches and uh, volunteers and engage in all of that. And when they do that, if they could consider help and support those kinds of efforts as part of their annual giving, uh, we need that because we, on other fronts, we have individuals, kids that want to go to camp, uh, seniors that can't afford the membership of the YMCA, teens that want to be part of a teen club. We have a first-generation college readiness program that we do not charge for that we need support with. And so if that's if they can contribute to that, uh, that's what we need help so that we can continue to expand this good work. I mean, I know just from uh, the prep and having this conversation with you, I've learned so much about the YMCA and its programs, programs I didn't even know existed. Uh, It's not just a gym and a place for kids to hang out after school. Oh, absolutely. We're far more than a gym and swim. We have gyms and we do swimming there. But uh, the YMCA uh, is a significant provider of early child care education. These are preschool programs. Some of these programs are in the heart of the inner city. And so we work with families that are the working poor and we support them with uh, any number of scholarships. We also do after-school programs all over the region and many of those after-school programs are designed to help close the achievement gap. In other words, we're not just taking care of these kids after school, we're making sure they're doing their homework, we're working with the teachers and making sure that they get the extra support they have. They need. During the summer months, we do a lot of the same thing other than just summer. We also uh, try to work hard in some areas to uh, arrest the summer slide. This is where kids go into the summer months and they're not learning anything. Right. And the disparity in education begins to happen over summer and it becomes exponential over time. We want to arrest that and help individuals with that. Most people don't know that we uh, deliver over 400 meals uh, every year to kids who are food insecure. And so we work with several partners to try to ensure that kids have the meals they need. 
and the support they need there. We're probably, I don't know this for sure, but I think we're the largest provider of senior services in the area. We oversee the senior centers over in Coleraine Township. Uh, We oversee all of the senior services in Boone County, and we have a growing number of seniors coming to our YMCAs on a fairly regular basis. The seniors of today are not the seniors of yesterday. Uh, We've got a lot of seniors taking our boot camp and preparing for the pig. Uh, the seniors of yesterday wanted to play cards and quilt, not this next generation of swimmers. Some people may not know, but we have a swim program for the individuals we call the masters. These are individuals that are over 50 and 70, and they compete all over the country. Uh, There's a competition in Florida where, in some cases, the average swimmer may be 75 years old. And the YMCA provides uh, those kinds of things. On the health front, we do blood pressure screenings. We have a program to help survivors of cancer we call Live Strong. Uh, we have a diabetes prevention program. Uh, so, And we're working with a lot of partners to give uh, individuals access to some health care uh, initiatives. So we do a lot. And I'm sure that in all of this, somebody from my team is going to listen and say, you also forgot. You forgot this, to mention this, this. blank. Yeah. But if somebody listening right now, they heard something or it sparked an idea or they want to get involved or they want to take advantage of the multitude of services the Y offers here locally in our region, where do they go first? Well, I'm going to ask uh, everybody to look online first. Uh, www.myy.org. So myy.org. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier than that. Myy.org. They can see uh, which branch is nearest to them and then take a look at some of the um, opportunities that they have. If they do not find what they're looking for, ask to speak to their local executive director. They will direct them to uh, the program or the opportunities that they seek. If they think of something that they've never heard of, or they wondered if the YMCA could offer that, talk to that local executive director. Chances are somebody around the country, the YMCA, is doing that very service. And we, uh, if that's a need that we have not uh, figured out how to address, we'd love to get in the middle of it. There's something for everybody. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we've been doing a lot of thinking about is, and we've been talking about the YMCA this entire time, but the YMCA and several of our partners, the Food Bank, Easter Seals, Boys and Girls Club, the Scouts, and I can keep going on and on, we're beginning to understand that we've got to work together. Uh, The United Way has been kind of pushing on that. Uh, The uh, Knowledge Works Foundation through uh, Strive Together has been working on uh, this idea as well. But this idea that uh, we have to create a complete and comprehensive environment for people to develop is critical. And so I want folks to know that the YMCA isn't working in a silo, that we are working to try to solve some of our pressing community needs by partnering with as many people as possible, churches, neighbors, whoever, to try to create the environment people need. It's interesting that you say that because I know of so many community organizations and nonprofits that that really work as one-man shows And for some, it's very competitive, which is why I just think it's remarkable that the YMCA wants to partner with other organizations to extend the reach. Yeah, frankly, I think we have to. If you remember, like in the second or third grade, when a teacher announced that they were going to put a bean in a cup. Yeah. And you 
grew your bean. And in my class, we actually named our beans and we learned that that bean was going to need sun, soil, and water. And we put our bean by the windowsill and watched it grow. Well, human beings are not any different. And if a service provider is providing great water or swim lessons or youth sports or whatever they're doing, but that child, that human being also needs sun, recreation, mentoring, food, then to provide the great swim lesson is not going to be enough. Because in that class, we learned that it doesn't matter how good the ingredients are. They have to be complete. You can't have the best water and have no sun and no soil and expect that bean to grow. And so nonprofits have to work together, not because, you know, we're not in some sort of competitive race to try to get resources, but because we have to customize the experience for individuals. And there may be something that that individual needs that I don't have the skill or capacity to provide, and I've got to work together with them. We're actually working at one of our locations, the Melrose location uh, in Walnut Hills, where we've invited several other partners into the space, and we're going to co-locate a lot of those services so that the possibility exists that if a kid comes for a particular service, but we find out that the mom is underemployed, we have a place where they can get that help. Or if they need food, we've got food there too. Or if they have a grandparent that needs a place to go while the mom's at work, we have a place there. Uh, We need a teenager that needs mental health or is a teen parent, we can support that all in one location. And the idea is together in partnerships with, in in that example, or in that case, Easter Seals, Village, the... A food bank. We're also working with a couple of schools, academic providers, City Gospel, uh, Mission. We're going to be able to provide a lot more in this one location than if we just worked alone. And I think the era of working alone doesn't work in the for-profits. It definitely does not work in the nonprofits. MyWhy.org. MyWhy.org. Jorge Perez, it was great having you. Thanks for coming on Person of Interest. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Person of Interest. If you'd like to send a comment, address it to POI, which stands for Person of Interest. That's POI at WKRQ.com. And while you're at it, feel free to make a suggestion for a future Person of Interest. Person of Interest is produced by Natalie Jones. Until next time, I'm Jeff Thomas. Thanks for listening.